Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Amen. How are we doing this morning? I got my Sunday best on just for all of you. I want you to um, imagine something for, uh, with me. There's a, a young boy who is dressed kind of like this, and he, he lives on the streets, and he's by himself, and he usually sleeps under or behind a dumpster, which is the same place that he scrounges for food whenever someone throws something away. And that's his life. And he wears whatever rags he has. He eats whatever he can, he can scrounge. And, and, and obviously a really sad story, but it gets amazing because this little boy gets adopted by a family. And they bring him into his, his home. And his family, they're not rich, but they're, they, God has blessed him pretty well. So they, he has his own room. He now has his own clothes and, and good food and all. So, so that, that, I want you to imagine that, picture that. And so, so they bring this, this boy home, and he, he goes up uh, to bed in his own room, his own bed, pajamas, everything, right? And, and the next morning, the family's up before him. And, you know, they're getting breakfast ready. They get a fire going in the fireplace. It's not summertime, right? You kind of picture it. And all of a sudden, um, this, this boy comes down the stairs, and he's, he's got his rags from the dumpster on. And the family looks at him like, and this new mom goes, what? Why would you do that? Like, why, why would you put that back on? Like, that's, that, that's not, that, you have a whole wardrobe. We just gave you, right, why, why would you? And, and, and the boy looks confused. And he just says, well, this is who I am. These are my clothes. I didn't know any different. And then, and then imagine the, the, the mom, dad, the family, they're like, hey, listen, I want you to take these clothes that we got you. Go in the bathroom and, and take those off and bring them out. And so, of course, he goes in. out and he has his rags and, and now he's dressed in, in the good clothes, brand new clothes his family's given him and, and, and now the, the boy's mom, he takes this and, and, and the rags and, and she, she just throws them in the fireplace and burns them to ashes and she says that's not who you are anymore you belong here new life, live live in the same way Paul's passage that we're going to look at today He's saying to the Colossian Christians all the way down to us today, that old life is not you anymore. It's killed. Kill it. Keep it dead. Throw it off. It's not you. Live the life you're now meant to live. Let's pray as I put my real microphone on. Lord, I just thank you that you've brought us here. You have a purpose, as you always do, for each one of us, Lord. All at different places, all at different struggles, successes, things that we're excited about. But, Lord, all with the commonality of seeking you today. I thank you for our worship team and and Greg, who's prayed for us and led us in, in worship up to this point. And I just pray that... This would just merely be uh, a continuation 
Lord, of worship. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to your, your truth. The good, the, the things that excite us about your truth and the things that convict us, it's all good, Lord, because it, it, it's from you. And so, Father, I pray for anyone who might be weary today that you would sustain, you would give hope. And I pray for anyone who is just ready to serve you, that you would give them their calling and their place to serve you, that this time might be glorifying to you in your word. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, killing sex and idols, this might be the best sermon title I've ever come up with or the dumbest. We will find out. Let me know, okay? Um, you can go if, uh, we'll put it on the screen, but if you're following along in your Bibles, it's Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 1. This is kind of where the, 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 the theology that Paul's given us first couple of chapters starts to get really practical, um, living it out in our, our, daily, our daily lives. Um, and uh, so also, if you do not own a Bible and you're visiting with us, uh, please uh, take the Bible you might see in front of you and take that home. We'd love for you to have that. That's our, our gift to you along with the the book outside and whatever else we can give you just so we want everyone to have God's word. Um, kind of as we're, we're, we're doing that, a couple of, of thanks I want to give. Ariel asked me um, last night, he's, if you don't know Ariel, he's the big bald guy who grills during our barbecues. And uh, um, he just asked me to thank uh, a lot of people who were really helpful last night. Our grill stopped working and it was a big to-do, but they got it in time. I had to preach a little extra longer to make sure to buy him some time. That's never a problem for me. So, uh, but he just wanted to make sure that, that uh, he just thanked all of you. Also, uh, for the many people who have helped us last week of like putting furniture together for the new space and, and uh, moving seemed like everything in this church uh, either gone or somewhere. And uh, it all got done so efficiently because so many people helped. It's great. Um, that space will be done, we, we think, next week. And uh, um, as I said, I think on social media that I never dreamed that the first big event we would do would be 100 VBS kids running around in the new space over there. But that's what's going to happen. So, hey, it's not an idol. We made this for, for them, and uh, I'm not worried about them messing it up anyway. It's all you adults that in your coffee that's going to screw it up. So I'm not that, that concerned. But be praying. That's going to be great. It's going to be coming up soon, and, and uh, a lot of exciting things uh, as, that, as that opens up. Um, so as we, we look to chapter 3 of, of Colossians, um, remember these chapters and verses were put in um, you know, about the 5th century actually to help us navigate the text. This was a letter that Paul wrote from prison to a church in Colossae, and, and so it's seamless. We, we take it in chunks, but it builds, right? And so, so a couple of weeks ago, and it's really, this is really important, I'm not just reviewing, for, for us to deal with what we're going to deal with today, you have to remember what part Paul has already reminded us of. And that's if, if you are in Christ, right? What, what, what he told, two weeks ago we went over, that, that means your old life of sin, who you were, right, has been killed with Jesus on the cross. It's been nailed to the cross. It is done. It is paid for, like we just sang. It is finished, Right? And so, and then and Paul said, well, and because of that, we now have freedom in Christ. You now have a freedom from the condemnation of sin. So the shame that you feel for the things you've done, you shouldn't because, because it's gone. God doesn't see it anymore. So you're free from that. But also, remember, free from the power of sin. And so so the, the, the slavery of, of, of the flesh and of sin, you, you don't, you're not enslaved to that anymore when you're in Christ. And so he's given you that, that freedom from condemnation and power. And so, then, and so that has implications for our lives. So last week 
we talked about the false teachers that were there. And they, they were trying to get them to go backwards. And to, you need angels to get to God. You need experience, spiritual experiences. You need to do stuff. And, and all those things that we talked about last week. And Paul's like, no, that's going back to slavery. You are free to live as God called you to live. And so all of that leads them into verse 1 of chapter 3, which says, If, then, like we've already talked about, you have been raised with Christ. If this is true, right? Your old sin was nailed, right? You're, you, and then buried with Christ and then raised to new life. That's what baptism pictured. Remember last week we had baptisms of seven people. It pictures that new life. He says, if that's true, you've been raised with Christ, here's what you do. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So he says above, he's talking about heavenly things. And it's this picture of Christ. This isn't where he is all the time. It is a picture of his position. He is at the right hand of God, right? So that means Christ has been given authority over everything. That's what that position means. And, 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 and he also, as we learn, he intercedes on your behalf. When you pray, you can be guaranteed God the Father hears because Christ intercedes on your behalf. That's what it means. He's at the right hand. But it also is important that he's seated. That means he's done. He's not still going, oh man, I got this universe. Like, I, I, I got to somehow figure out your life and your. No, no, no. It is finished, right? It is done. You can be confident in that. And so if, if we've been raised in Christ, he said, here's what we do. Since he's our king and he's an authority and who, right? Christ. So, so, so seek, which means set your affections on heavenly things. Right? Be passionate about. Uh, not, as we'll see, earthly things, but heavenly things. Things that Christ is passionate about. Things that Christ loves. Things that, that matter to Christ. Like, like, seek those. Not just, you know, kind of go to church. or what, Like, actually learn to say, I want to set my affections on heavenly things more and more and more. If you're raised in Christ. And how do you do that? Verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above. Not on things that are on earth. So set your mind. So, so the, 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 to get your affections geared towards heavenly things, set your mind. Think about heavenly things. Meditate on heavenly things. Like, right? Talk about heavenly things. That, 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 that they'll change your perspective and the things you're excited about. It's kind of like, um, I, I've used this analogy before. Actually, my wife came up with it, giving her full credit in case she, one of you tells her that I use this without giving her credit. Um, but I don't know if this picture um, is something, anyone relate to that, but in an airport? Like airports sometimes are okay, but they're usually not the best experiences. They're not the most comfortable places. They're usually delays. And, and, and sometimes you end up feeling like this. Are you kidding me, right? I'm not sure if you've ever gone this far, but have you ever felt like this at an airport? Now, I guarantee you the difference between those scenarios are not, they were like, woo, we got a better bagel at Dunkin' Donuts or whatever they got while they were waiting for their flight, right? What's the difference between those two scenarios at the airport? It's perspective. They're thinking about the destination, not the airport. 
So whatever, like say you're at an airport, whatever that destination, whatever, you know, it's Hawaii or it's Italy or it's Ireland or the Holy Land, whatever for you would be, I would love to go there. You, you don't care, like your flight's a little delayed, that's sort of annoying, you got kind of a, the, your cup of coffee that you bought way, way overpriced and it just didn't really taste great. You don't care because you're thinking and setting your affections and your minds not on this temporary place, but on where you're going. That's Paul's point. Is this life, it's the airport. It would be silly if you knew you were going to be at the airport for a few hours and you brought in all your living room furniture and you got, like, you were, like, just so stressed about making this super comfortable and the best possible experience you can make it when you know you are leaving for your destination soon. That this is not your home. And so that's what Paul's saying. Not that you don't enjoy earthly things or things that, that are in this life, but that, that you don't set your affections on them. You put them on heavenly things. Right, he says um, in verse 3 and 4, Why? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He kind of gives us past, present, future being in Christ. First, if it's true, for you have died to your old sin, you are raised with Christ. You have that freedom that we talked about. That's past. That's happened. If you're a Christian. But now, you're also, your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's your present right now. What does it mean to be hidden in Christ? It means uh, the, the primary definition of that is that, that you are safe. That there is nothing eternally than when you're hidden in Christ that can get you. Remember what Jesus said, man? You, you, you'd be worried, not worried about those who can kill your body, but worried about those who can kill your soul. In Christ, to be hidden in Christ means he's got you. Yeah, someone can hurt you in this airport life. Someone could do, right, you can have struggles and there's griefs and there's all, yes, absolutely. But in the end, he will never, ever lose you because he said, I don't lose anyone the Father has given me. So you have this assurance when you're in Christ. But it also means something as well. To be hidden means there's, there's some secrecy there. So if you're a Christian... Most of the world has no idea what that means, what that means for you. In fact, if you're, you know, have been a Christian for any length of time, there's probably a lot of people who think it's pretty stupid. Like, what do you, you go to church, you do this, oh, really, you're going to live your life that way? I mean, is there really a God? Isn't that a fairy tale? But didn't, right? And, and because they don't see the implications of you being in Christ yet. But then there's the future. And Paul says, but someday you will appear with him in glory. Being hidden in Christ means there will come a time when Christ comes, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and they will see you for who you are, hidden in Christ, in glory with Him. That's why you set your affections and your thoughts on heavenly things, because you're in Christ. And what Paul, I think, is, is, is saying is, uh, to kind of sum it up, is come alive to who you are. Like, like the, the little boy, as we began things, like, like, put on the clothes you have now. You have a bed. You have a room. You have, a, like, a mansion compared to where you were. That's who someone in Christ is. Come alive to it. Right? What if, what if we began to frame all of our thoughts um, and perspective uh, uh, on heavenly things? And what that means is if you're struggling with something or something isn't going your way or someone has hurt you, which is what's going to happen in this airport life, 
that, that instead of complaining immediately, like, this is ridiculous, this shouldn't be, as if God's not sovereign over that. And instead, and this is hard to do because none of us like to struggle, but instead, in that struggle, and it does still hurt, we're still frustrated, you're, you're human, right? But if we begin to frame things, we're like, huh, I wonder what God is doing in this. I wonder what God is doing with that person right now who's bothering me a lot. I wonder what he's up to. I wonder what the Lord is doing. Or if you're in a season of dryness, like your marriage or some area of your life, and, and you're like, instead of saying, this is terrible, it's always going to be like this, if you had a heavenly perspective and said, wow, what great things might be coming that the Lord is going to do. What if, what if we, we set our, our minds and, and, and affections on what heaven's going to be like? Like the Bible describes it like no grief, no tears, no pain, right? The glories of Christ that are endless, and, and we're going to be a part of that. Like what if we, we meditated on that more? I think it would frame things differently. And just the other day, uh, because of all the cleaning Someone uncovered uh, pictures, and we used to, back before all the video, actually, I think Chris used to take photos of everyone that, um, that got baptized. And so I had all these photos, and I was, like, going through them, like, oh, wow. Like, I can't believe this, you know. It's like, look at how much less gray hair I had, you know. And, and, and just remembering people, and it was cool. But then I came to a picture of, of me in this, in this tank with Randy Morin. Randy with full head of hair, huge smile on his face, and... I just began to weep because I remember Randy coming to Christ. I remember baptizing Randy, and I remember doing ministry to Randy and loving Randy, and then I watched cancer kill Randy. And that, that's terrible. That hurts. This airport life hurts. There's grief to it, right? But then because of this heavenly perspective, it was like, yeah, but I'm going to see him again. Like, what's that going to be like when we're in the presence of Christ? And he's, he's not going to have that. The last time I saw him in that hospital bed before he died, he, was, he had no hair, and he was, he was beaten down by cancer. It's not going to be the case. He's going to be the Randy I knew, even better, right? And we're going to worship Christ together, how many we've lost. And instead of, yes, we still have grief, but those, as, as the Revelation says, every tear will be wiped away from your eye. If that's our perspective, more and more and more, Man, things change. And how do we do that? It's just, you've got to think about these things. Yeah, so that's why we're always saying, get in the Word of God. Because this will constantly bring you, right, away from earthly things, right? Which, which when he says that, earthly, he's not talking about, you know, fun things in this life. He's not saying that, that you can't ever think about the musical instrument you like to play or playing football or or uh, you're, you know, uh, having dinner with your family or walking. Like, these are things I think are beautiful gifts from God that should raise our eyes and say, man, that God is going to be even greater. It's going to be even greater in the kingdom of heaven. But when he says earthly, he's talking about the old life of sin, right? So, so we, 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 I'm just telling you this, and I think you probably know this, but it's a reminder or an assurance, especially the younger you are, you have to understand, you are never, the currents of our lives are never going to drift towards the things of heaven and holiness. Like, you know what I mean by currents? Have you ever, uh, I make this mistake every year when I get in the ocean and I'll have my 
beach chair set up, right? And I'll go in the ocean. Sometimes I'll be floating there, sometimes playing in waves or whatever, right? And I, I'm, in, I'm in the water, and I, and I feel like I'm gonna, when I'm done, I'll just get back out, and there's going to be my chair on the sand. And I look up, and I'm like 300 yards down the beach. Has this ever happened to you? Yeah. Every year I'm like, oh, yeah, duh, I forget. Every time. I don't even notice the tides are drifting me. Right? If you just close your eyes on a raft, you could end up out to sea, right? It'll just go, and you don't even notice it. That's how life is, that we drift, but we do not drift towards heavenly things. We drift towards earthly things. It's because we're dealing with this old self. That's what happens. And if you're, you're, you're not intentional about meditating on, about getting around, that's why we're here right now, right? I want to think, and I want, to, I, want to, I want to let my heart and my affections go on the Lord on heavenly things. That's why we gather together, prayer groups and, and, and Bible studies and small groups. And that's, that's why we're, we, we need to be intentional about it. Because if you're only, right, just kind of letting the life drift you, you're going to find more and more and more frustrated because you're tied up with earthly things. And they'll never satisfy you. But instead, think about the intention is the oars, right? We're, we're going we're gonna to go somewhere. We're not going to let the tides bring us. We're going to be focused on heavenly things. One of the best ways to do this is to be around other people who set their minds and hearts on heavenly things. You will go, this is a fact for every single person. You are not exempt from this. You will drift with the people you're with. Like You will not fight that. It doesn't mean you're not with other people, but it just means that, 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 that if you're not with other people who are, want to strive for heavenly things, you won't drift that way. You'll drift the other way. The other day, I was, um, uh, it was a weekday, and it was around the lunch hour, and a newer believer in our, our church, he was just sitting in the pews reading his Bible. And I'm like, oh, this usually isn't a good thing when it happens in the middle of a day like that. He works kind of close by, and so I just asked him, you all right? He's like, yeah, yeah, I just, you know, he says work was just really bad this morning, and boss was angry with him, just, just was a rough day. We've all had them, and, and I just, so I just kind of left him alone. I was like, oh, that's fine, and, and went back into to my office, and, and before he left, he checked in with me, and he said, he said, you know, before, not so long ago, I would have thrown a temper tantrum, thrown tools around, screamed at my boss, obscenities, said, came here, opened God's word, prayed, I'm totally at peace. And then he walked out. And I sat back and I said, yes. And it was a selfish yes. I was happy for him. But it stirred me up. I was like, yes. I want more of that, right? I want more of that peace. I want more of that. And and sometimes someone who's kind of new to the faith to remind you, yeah, that's perspective even in the mess. Be around people who are heavenly minded and you will begin to drift that way. And what Paul's saying is come alive to who you are. That's your purpose. And so as he he gets to the the last two verses that we're going to look at this morning, it's kind of like a coin, right? It's got, everything has two halves. So when you talk about coming alive to something, that means killing something else, right? Killing that, the old rags, the, the old way. Not, you can't, you can't have both effectively, right? So he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. 
So remember, earthly is not these, these things in life that, that you like or that are blessings, right? Earthly are sinful things. That's what Paul means by that. The old way to live according to the sinful world. So he says, you got to put it to death. That's serious, right? That's not like, just kind of stay away politely. No, no, no. Kill it. Here's the thing. He's already said it's already dead, right? What he's saying is to enact on something that's already true. Gets, you're dead to that. Now he's saying kill it. Well, which one is it? Both. I couldn't help, I don't know about you, but think about zombies. Who wouldn't? Right? Some of you are like, oh, here we go. Like, try not to let me go down this wormhole, but just bear with me. Right? If you've, you probably know what a zombie is, but, you know, in a nutshell, it's someone who dies. It could even be someone you love, but then they sort of arise in a part of themselves, but they're just really evil and they want to bite you and, and eat you. Right? It's pretty gruesome. And so zombies aren't nice. And, and, and so it, 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 you've got to kill the zombie. Right? But it's already dead. That's kind of like what Paul's saying, in a way. I don't know if Paul would agree, but you can ask him someday. But he's saying, like, like you can't let a zombie hang out in your living room, even if it was your spouse or your, somebody you were in your family, because that's not them anymore. They're going to kill you, right? So, so what, what Paul's saying is you've got to be killing that, which is your old life. You've got to take those rags. Don't look, put them in a pile in your room where you can see them. Throw them in the fire. Get rid of them. Like John Owen, the great theologian that I've mentioned before, said, you be killing sin or it will be killing you. Simple as that. Simple as that. Kill who you are not. Come alive to who you are. Kill who you are not. Do not put it back on. This means seriousness, right? So Terrence was a guy working in a factory. Big, heavy, dangerous machinery. And one day... His hand got caught, and it was dragging him in, and he knew, Terrence knew. And under a minute, if he didn't do something serious about it, he was going to get pulverized to a formless shape. And this, like, he's not ripping that thing out. He's going under. And so he just happened to have, as I always do, an axe nearby, right? And, man, he, like, that's, no one wants that choice. That hurts, right? I don't want to cut my arm off, but he had, he had to do it. He had to be serious in intention. Otherwise, he was going to die. But Jesus used that as a parable, right? Well, he, he said, man, if, 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 if your eyes cause you to sin, gouge it out. Now, I don't think he meant physical. I think he was being metaphorical there, right? But what he was saying is be serious about that which is your old life because it's going to be killing you. And so that, whatever it might be, and it can be different that, that, that's still kind of hanging around for all uh, uh, for each one of us. But it, but it means being, so don't, 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 that, that could be a relationship. Now, don't kill the person. I didn't say that. Again, metaphorically speaking. But you might need to kill the relationship or, or get really serious about it because we are to be serious about coming alive to heavenly things and killing that which is not for us anymore. See, that's why, you, you know, you've you got to be in Christ for this. If you're not, that's the cart before the horse. You're invited into a relationship with Christ. You just, you just put your faith in him who died for you. And when you do that, you're hidden in Christ with God. But before that, what I'm telling you is not going to be possible. This is the freedom that Christ has won for you to kill sin, come alive to, to heavenly things. Because you're no longer um, 
that person. Kill who you're not. That, that there was um, the true story, these twin sisters, and they lived this party lifestyle. Um, you know, they, they would go to pretty high-end parties, and they'd get invited to them, and there was a lot of drunkenness and all the stuff that goes with that. You know, I don't have to get descriptive. And they did that regularly. That was just, that was just who they were. That was their life. A lot of, a lot of people. And, and, and one day, both sisters, I don't really know where it was a church service or what, but they came to Jesus Christ in faith, and everything changed. And so one day, they got an invitation to one of these parties. It was an RSVP invitation. And they literally filled it out, they declined, and they said, we cannot make this party because we are dead. And sent it back. Do you imagine getting that? Like, wait, wait, what? You're dead? How'd you? Confusing. But they really wanted to make it clear. We're dead to that. Like, they, they didn't say, wow, we'll go to the party because we're kind of friends with these people, but we won't, we won't get drunk. We won't. They knew. No way can they do that. That's letting it stay in the living room. No, 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 no. We got to kill that. We can't do it. It's gone. That's who we were. It's not who we are. There's a drastic difference to be able to kill who you are not, whatever that might be. And so as Paul launches now into what we call a list, there's a lot of them in the Bible. Um, Paul likes them. And we're just, and this week, going to deal with the first two really categories and then there's more, both bad and good, that we'll get to in future weeks. But, but he, he starts this list. These are the things that he thinks are really serious that those in Christ need to kill. And he starts out, it's not by accident. He doesn't just kind of like come up, oh, let me just kind of think randomly. There's definitely a pattern here. This is often headliners. What Paul is going to use as headliners is often the headliners we see in Scripture. In fact, I, I got thinking about um, in Acts 15 when there was this really, it's early church, big meeting, this big council in Jerusalem. The apostles were there, all the heavy hitters were there, and they were going to make decisions about how non-Jews could become Christians. Did Gentiles have to become Jewish first, get circumcised, do all of that, and then become a Christian? Right? So they were deciding all that, and they decided, no, they don't have to do that. But they did send a letter back, and they said, but you do need to do three, three things you need to be very, very careful of. And the first two were the exact first two on Paul's list. Stay away from sexual immorality and idol worship. You know what this tells us? That as woke as we think we are, and as more modern as we think we get, 20 centuries later, nothing has changed. People are people. Sin is sin. And what happens in the patterns of them when we get further from Christ, it becomes more and more prevalent, and the scary thing is accepted. So he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, and then he begins the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Now, the sexual immorality, that's where we get the word fornication. That's a physical act of sex, that it's outside of a marriage between a husband and wife. That's what fornication is. It's definition. The other ones could be more general, but they were usually associated with, with um, like, passion means to lust after, right, impurity or more your thought life, your intentions, and the same with evil desire. It doesn't always have to be sexual, but it's really related. And so we keep them in that, that same category, that what he's, he's telling them is to kill sexual sin. Now, breathe. This gets really uncomfortable every time I start talking about sex. I don't know why. If it's not a big deal, why is it such a big deal? Anyway, that's for another time. 
We can breathe. And here's why. Here's what the enemy does. We start talking about, you start to think you're alone in this. You're in church. None of these other people have done what I've done. They haven't thought what I've thought. They haven't, and you're wrong. And I'm going to prove to you. I'm gonna, I, I could give you all kinds of different ways, sexual morality. There's so many different ways. I just chose two, very specifically, to give you statistics. To prove to you that if you didn't or haven't done one of these things, you are a, literally a statistical anomaly in America. And so uh, and there's a reason why I'm choosing that, because I think it will show to you that you're not alone in experiencing this, and maybe you will get help if you need to get help. But it's also to show you that our country, our culture, is no different than Greco-Roman culture that Paul was in. We've wildly shrugged it off. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? So the, 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 the first one, let me give you this statistic. In America... By the exact age of 20 years, so by the time you're 20, 75% have had sex before marriage. 75% of Americans have had sex by the time they're 20. One more. By the time they're the exact age of 44, so much older, 99% of Americans have had sex and 95% had sex before marriage. So that means 3 to 4% in America do what God's word clearly says to do and wait for marriage. And so if that was you, you literally are a statistical anomaly. And so I don't say, this is why I said that beginning was really important. This is not to bring shame. This is to help you, because I, uh, Paul's already said, that's been dealt with, right? You are forgiven in Christ. If your past is riddled with that, you have forgiveness, freedom from that condemnation. Don't let anyone condemn you. If you're in Christ, you are freely forgiven. It's much more about our present and our future to get serious about it. Because God's very, very serious about it. It's not to bring condemnation. It's also to get serious about it with our kids. I feel like it rubs off on the church. That statistic isn't outside the church. That's everybody, right? Everybody. So largely, just like in Paul's day, why he dealt with it so much is because culture shrugs it off. It's no big deal. But it is. God intended it for a very specific place, a covenantal marriage, trusted relationship between a husband and wife. The second one, and you, if you've been here long enough, second category, kind of goes with the thought life. If you've been here long enough, you, you knew I was going to go here. Jamie, why do you talk so much about pornography? Because I hate it. I hate what it's doing to an entire generation. And I think we just shrug it off. It's no big deal. And it's killing us. And I will not. I have to stand before God. I will not let it go. I will continue to preach my heart about the dangers of it. How it wrecks you. It is not just something on your phone. Every second, 28,258 users are watching pornography on the internet. Every second. Just over $3,000 is being spent on pornography in the internet. Every second, 372 people are typing the word adult into a search engine. Every day, 37 pornographic videos are created. Every day, 2.5 billion emails containing porn are sent or received. Every day. Every day, 68 million search queries related to pornography. That's 25% of total searches are generated. So think of all the things you use the internet for. 25% are searching for porn. 
Every day, 116,000 queries related to child pornography are received. Every day, 116,000 queries for child pornography are received. Do we still think this is just a tiny little seedy area and we just need to? No. No. But it's no different than it was in Paul's day. We just have the internet now. How does it affect Americans? About 200,000 Americans are classified as porn addicts. 40 million Americans uh, regularly visit porn sites. 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. And one-third of porn viewers are women. This is not a male-only issue. And that makes sense to me. Guys, as we lead, women follow. That's how it always is. And again, just like the first category, I do not read these things to you so you feel crushed and feel broken. I want you to see you're not alone. Like, come out in the open and be known if you're in Christ. I need help. I need accountability. I need, so, right? I need to get serious about this because it's going to destroy me and my family and my marriage or my future marriage. I mean, I could give you all kinds of statistics of how it destroys, right? How like we say all the time, sex is like fire in the fireplace where it belongs. It's beautiful. On your, in your living room and on your living room curtains, it burns your life to the ground. That's what it's like. And that's why Paul's always warning so much about it. Be serious about it. It's, it's forgiven freely in Christ, but, but don't just shrug it off. And don't shrug it off with your kids and grandkids like, what are we going to do? That's just our culture. But here, I, I want you to see, I'm going to uh, have this last category, and we won't take up a lot of time. It says, be killing uh, covetousness, which is idolatry. So we'll get to that. But I want you to see verse 6, because he's talking about both of those things. He said, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So he's like, because of these things, that's why God has to judge. Because of these things, that's why Jesus went to the cross. Now, we can think of it one way and say, well, God's going to punish and think of it that way, and it's absolutely true. But I want you to look at it from a different perspective. I want you to picture the person you love the most in your life. And it can't be me. I know you wanted to think about me. It's fine. The person you love the most. And now I want you to think about what would hurt that person the most. What would hurt them the most? So here's my question. Would you ever intentionally do that? Man, I... You'd be like, first of all, not only wouldn't I do that to him, I would die to protect him from that thing that would hurt him the most, right? Like, that's how serious I would be. So why, when it comes to God, when we're in Christ, we're supposed to love, that we're just like, oh, he'll forgive me. He doesn't really care. It's fine. That's not love. Love says, I don't want, you will, that's why the cross exists, you will still sin, but, but you've got to be serious about not wanting Love says, says, man, I don't want to grieve God. I don't want to do the things that bring his wrath. i got to get serious about this. i I, I got to get help with this. And so, so the, that, that last category, at least until, you know, we'll, we'll get to in, in future weeks other things, both good and bad, things to put off and put on. But he says, also covetousness, which is idolatry. So be killing your idols. You ever notice we don't have stars anymore, we have idols. American Idol, right? So, because I don't have a lot of time, I figured a lot of you will recognize this. You guys remember this? This is the throne. It's not much of one, but it's my life. What did you expect, right? This is the throne. And just, just ask, 
who's sitting right now on, on the throne of my life. I know some of you are like, really, Jamie, you're writing. Are you kidding me? You can have calligraphy. It's your life, okay? I, bad printing. That's me, all right? What's sitting on the throne of your life? What Paul's saying is covetousness leads to idolatry. Covetousness is, is to have an insatiable desire because you think if you get that or enough of that, you will finally make it and be satisfied. And so because that's the case, because only God can satisfy you, you put it on the throne. It controls you. I can prove it to you. You guys remember the car you drove in high school or college? It like blew out smoke every time you started it. You got the 40, it started squealing. You got the 60, it was shaking like this. You remember that? I guarantee you when you parked it, you didn't care where it was or what happened. Someone could ding it. Someone could hit it. You're like, I don't care. But when you got that first brand new car, now you're parking at the mall, right, and you're parking it sideways to take up like six spots because if anyone dare even sprinkle a grain of sand on that car, but it happened eventually and you had to get an even better car. You see how, it, and I'm not saying having a new car is bad, right? I'm just saying, like, it becomes this covetousness. I need more. Jesus said you can't serve God and money for a reason. Because money is a tool to get what we think will satisfy me. And then it, it, it sits on the throne of my life, and I'm, and I'm in the airport frustrated because it's not. And he was like, well, Jamie, I know that if I just had enough money, I'd be satisfied. No, you wouldn't. You would go in a rocket to space and try to be satisfied there. Because it won't. It's never enough. It's fine to enjoy blessings God's given you, but it will never, ever be enough to satisfy you. And Paul says, you've got to be killing those things. And they are all different for us, right? They can be good things that we have put on the throne of our life. Some people, it's your home. You need to have an HGTV home. And if anyone dares scruff it up, you know, it's like, how dare you, right? That's become your God. Like, what do I do? Burn my home down? No. Open it up to people. Get a dog. That'll do it, right? <laughs> do something that says home is a place to bring people in, like this new space. I'm like, oh, VBS. Well, that's what we built it for. Have at it, kids. We'll just buy new couches, I guess, right? Because it's made. That's a beautiful thing. What if I was like, nope, we're not having VBS. We don't want 100 kids to learn about Jesus because we just built a new space. That's stupid. That would become an idol on the throne of my life or on our life. And so whatever that might be for you, be serious about it. It's often money. How do you, you know, throw your money away, but be ultra radically generous with it because then you're using it for God, not for yourself. And you will be way more satisfied. You'll be more the jubilant people in the airport thinking about heavenly things. And so Paul says, man, we, we got to be serious about drifting towards idol worship and drifting towards um, sexual immorality. We have to do what it takes in our lives to deal with it. So I want to pray for really all of this in you. And as I do that, it's just an opportunity to ask God where you need to be serious in your life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus. I, I thank you. I thank you for this church, Lord, that for my almost 15 years here, I've always been able to preach your truth boldly and without restrictions. And this church loves 
that truth, as hard as it sometimes is to hear, that's what they want, Lord, that is good. I pray that that will always be the case here, long after I'm gone, that we will be a people that desperately wants to be serious about heavenly things and serious about killing the earthly things in us. Lord, one of my worries about messages like this, as you know, is is bringing shame on someone when they can be forgiven in Christ. And so I pray that no one would feel that, that they would feel the freedom of forgiveness, that if they're not, they walked in this room not a Christian, that they would right now just say, Jesus, save me. That they put their faith in you, Lord. Draw them, open their heart to you, to your truth. That they can have this new life, a new purpose in you. Those who are in Christ, Lord, I, I pray that they wouldn't feel that shame afresh. They would feel the freedom from that condemnation of what's in our past. And that we could walk out here into our present and into our future, hidden in Christ. Whatever that means, I pray that we would have the courage to get help, to see someone. If something's too much, some category of our life is sitting in our throne and we just, we just need prayer, we just need help. Lord, I pray that we would seek that out. That nobody in this room right now would stay in secret. That they would step forward and be known because that's what you want from them, Lord. That's what you want from all of us. And oh God, I ask that we would be a church that is fine with being grimy with people because it means we're showing them how to be cleansed. And that we wouldn't be judgmental, finger pointing, that you would remind us what humility is, to humble ourselves before you. That we're growing together knitted together by your love. And I pray, Lord, as we leave, that we just have a sense of awe of heavenly things and a desire to think about things that are above. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we go, let's stand and sing together. How great is our God.